Hey there, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to Roundhouse Crosstalk, a podcast hosted by the California State Railroad Museum. This week, to celebrate Earth Day, we are speaking with Rachel Wolf, a graduate student of public history at California State University, Sacramento. We're discussing her new digital exhibit, Rails to Redwoods, which explores the history of environmental tourism in California. Well, first of all, welcome, Rachel, to the show. So excited to have you here. Um, so could you just start out by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So my name is Rachel Wolf, and I'm a graduate student in the Sac State Public History Program. Right now, I'm mainly studying California history. A lot of my interest is in environmental history. And also, I've been studying a lot of immigration history the last few semesters. Right now, I'm really looking at going into cultural resource management or museum exhibits. So getting to work on this digital exhibit with the California State Railroad Museum was a pretty cool experience. Um, so a little bit of background on our exhibits. Last semester, as part of our coursework, we got to work with the Railroad Museum staff, pick whatever topic we wanted, and we all created individual exhibits on whatever topic of railroad history that we really wanted to. So the topic that I ended up choosing uh, was environmental tourism in Northern California. And I called my project Rails to Redwoods. All right, great. Uh, And so what got you interested in this topic of environmental tourism? Yes, so growing up, my family, we would take a lot of camping trips and vacations to Sonoma County. And over the summer while I was doing some research with the staff over at the Sacramento History Museum, I learned a little bit about the North Pacific Coast Railroad. And this was the railroad line that ran from Sausalito in the Bay Area up to Casadero, which is north of Gurneyville a little bit. And I was really surprised to learn that there was a railroad there. I hadn't ever heard anything about the rail line there. Um, So when I started this project, that was an area that I wanted to explore a little bit more because I was just really curious about why there was a railroad there and why nobody really seemed to know anything about it. Yeah, I guess people don't really, I've never heard of it until I actually read your um, digital exhibit. Yeah, it's really, it's interesting because there's not a lot that remains of from that rail line at Mm -hmm. all. And going through that area, you really wouldn't necessarily guess that there was a railroad or that there was like even a need for a rail line either. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the, that was something that definitely really piqued my interest. And so if someone was interested in seeing this firsthand, are any remnants of it left? Is the rail still there? Yeah. So all of the tracks were taken up in like the early fifties, late sixties, but there are a few remaining buildings and structures from it. Uh, The best examples in Duncan's Mill, they pretty much restored their train depot. And that's in really good condition. And the depot that's in Point Reyes is actually now their post office, which is pretty Mm. awesome. But they've really renovated it. And you really can't tell it's railroad connection at this point. Mm. Um, But there are also a few water towers. There's one near Freestone. But pretty much other than that, there are some tunnels and 
there used to be some trestles, but they're all on private land. So at this point, you can kind of tell if you look at aerial maps and compare to some of the old images, you can make a good guess of what where the line ran, but it's really not, you really have to know and be looking for it to know that mm-hmm. there was that line that ran through there. Um, so what, what are the origins of this rail line? Yeah, so the North Pacific Coast Railroad was started in the 1870s, mainly as a logging line. And during this time, because there was a lot of urbanization in California specifically, San Francisco was really growing in size at this time. There was a really high demand for lumber in California. So there is a lot of logging in Marin and Sonoma counties. And as forests were becoming more and more depleted, you had a lot of lumber barons moving farther north into more remote regions. So the North Pacific Coast started when a group of lumber barons decided to invest in a railroad themselves to help ship their product and transport their product a little bit smoother to the San Francisco area. Um, It would have been too difficult for them to transport by ship. And they knew that if they built a rail line, they were going to be able to more easily and quickly transport their product um, to fetch the higher lumber prices. And were they successful? They weren't as successful as they thought they were going to be. Mm -hmm. And that was for a number of reasons. One, they ended up hitting the depression of 1870 when there was just a lot of inflation in the market in general. And because there was a lot of competition for lumber, the market really ended up crashing. So Mm -hmm. they lost a lot of what they thought was going to be high, high priced lumber. So you have that, but it was also really expensive to run the line. It was small, remote, and other than lumber, initially, they really didn't have a lot of other passenger or freight travel. So they lost a lot of revenue. Um, because it was expensive to run. It was a long route that went through a lot of forest. There were a lot of rainstorms during those years. So they had to constantly rebuild and repair the tracks. So it just wasn't profitable like they had thought it was going to be. And so they turned towards environmental tourism as a way to kind of recoup those losses. Yeah, so eventually they noticed that a lot of people are starting to come through and take weekend trips up to the Redwoods to just enjoy the scenic nature. Some people are going camping, others are hiking. And they start to really heavily market their line off of railroad tourism. So if you look around like the turn of the 20th century, if you look at the brochures from the company, they're really promoting this idea that you can take a scenic train trip up to the Redwood Forest during the weekend and that you can engage and partake in all of these different activities and you can have the natural benefits of nature and you can be back home by the end of the weekend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And were they successful in doing that? Did it end up, it was more lucrative? Yeah, that definitely drew attention of a lot 
of residents, especially because they were located really close to the San Francisco Bay region where there were a lot of wealthy upper middle class residents that that appealed to. And, and so what, um, do you happen to know where else there were famous rail lines for environmental tourism? Yeah, so a lot of the national parks later had them as well. So Yellowstone had one that was constructed, I believe, in the early 20th century. There's also a few that were built around the Grand Canyon area. And then in California, up and down the coast, really, there were actually quite a few of them, Santa Cruz. And then there's also another rail line that was in the Marin County area that was separate from the NPC railway. So there was actually quite a few different railroads that kind of contributed to this environmental tourism movement. Mm-hmm. And, and were they mostly on the West Coast then? It was definitely more of a West Coast thing, yeah. The California State Railroad Museum is now the proud home of a new exhibit by the National Model Railway Association. Next time you're in the museum, make sure to swing by our state-of-the-art exhibit up on the third floor, where you'll see beautifully designed model railroads and a look behind the scenes of the hard work that goes into model railroading. You can also see an exhibit reveal up on our YouTube page. Um, And so in your exhibit, you talk about this group called the Merry Tramps. Who are the Merry Tramps? Yes, so the Merry Tramps are a really interesting group of individuals. They were an outdoors club that took outdoor trips all across California. They traveled to the Santa Cruz area. They traveled to Yosemite. And the most common area that they traveled to was the Redwood Forest that were along the NPC line, basically. So they kind of made popular the idea of glamping, what we might call glamping, really. (laughs) Um, They literally took all their furniture up to their campsite and would stay there for sometimes a couple months. And they enjoyed, you know, hiking, swimming, hunting, A lot of them were also artists as well. So some were painters, photographers, and they use that time in nature to look for that inspiration for their own works. So this group in general was mainly single women, but there was actually a few men that traveled with them as well. Um, But they were all upper class college educated women who were all white and who had connections to a lot of kind of that art scene in the Bay area. Um, But because they were going for such long periods of time, they definitely had to be well off enough to take time off of if they had careers to be off, able to go off and enjoy nature really. You know, they kind of make me think of influencers. Yeah, no. And it's funny you say that because they did start a trend really Mm -hmm. because once they went off and did this, because a few of the members of the Barry Champs were writers, they were well acquainted with within their communities. So 
people started writing articles about them in local newspapers and they would actually send a reporter out to talk to them about what they did, where they were going. And they would actually chronicle some of their travels. So that got people's attention, especially the wealthy upper class people that they were well acquainted with. So were there any members of the Mary Tramps, any famous names we might recognize? Yeah, so probably the most famous is, her name is Helen Penniman Party. And she ended up marrying George Party who would later on become the governor of California. Mm-hmm. And he's mostly well-known for his time as governor during the 1906 earthquakes. So mm-hmm. he was governor from around the t- turn of the 20th century. Um, but he was a really big advocate for preserving nature. And Interestingly enough, in his inaugural address, he talked about the need to stop deforestation and also to make sure that we had clean drinking water in California. So he was concerned about a lot of these issues that we don't maybe typically associate with some of the earlier politicians before Teddy Roosevelt really kind of brought that to the national agenda. The other thing that made them popular was because they did have a member of the Mary Tramps, um, Frank Rudolph, who was a photographer. And a lot of his photos are the ones that I use in my exhibit. Mm-hmm. And his photos are really the evidence that these trips took place other than the newspaper articles. So people were seeing these trips and They were seeing them have fun and get to enjoy nature, take a break from like that urban life. And they were, Mm -hmm. they're like, Hey, I want to go do that. That looks fun. I mean, it's making me feel like that right now, all this time later. (laughs) No, and I think, I think that's interesting because they really just started that trend where Americans wanted to take a break from that urban lifestyle. And once that took off that really hasn't slowed down. It's still such a big part of our American culture today, mm-hmm. the national parks and national forest system. So I, I think that's really interesting that it started because of urbanization, because they were looking to get away from industry. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine this kind of social and political movement beginning if everyone was still living largely rural lives. Environmental tourism, was this exclusively available to uh, wealthier people, people of the upper class? When we look at the images from the Mary Tramps, you can really tell that these were upper middle-class individuals. Um, They were really well-dressed even on their trips. They had multiple outfits. There's a few pictures of their luggage and there it was like 12, 13 feet high. They brought a lot of stuff with them. So they were definitely wealthy enough to be able to take time off of work to go out and pay the fares for the train tickets, Mm -hmm. but also not just for them, but also for all of their belongings as well. And at least with the Mary Tramps, they sometimes would go off for months or weeks. So it wasn't just the weekend trips. So for the working class wage laborers, 
they wouldn't have been able to afford to take that time off. Nevertheless, they wouldn't even have had that many belongings really to bring with them as well. So mm-hmm. it was definitely more catered to her college educated upper middle class who had learned about, read about nature in, you know, their text, studied art paintings that glorified nature and kind of had this idea of nature as being this like romantic ideal. Mm-hmm, definitely. And so what is the relationship between the Mary Tramps and um, the NPC? Yes. Yeah, so the Mary Tramps use the NPC rail line to get to their campsite that was up near Gurneyville. So they would take the railroad, the railroad actually, so it started in Sausalito, but if someone was coming from the Bay Area, from San Francisco specifically, they'd have to take a ferry over to Sausalito because at that time they didn't have the infrastructure that we have now. So they would take a ferry boat over to Sausalito. They would then take the outline up to Gurneyville and they would camp up there for however many weeks or if it was just going to be a weekend sometimes they did that as well but the railroads were really what helped make their trips possible because otherwise it was just still too remote of a region that was too difficult to really traverse for their camping trips And so did the Mary Tramps kind of advertise for the NPC? Did they popularize the rail travel? Yeah, just based on the publicity they received in in the newspapers, they definitely popularized it. And like you said earlier, they kind of made it like this new fad, especially amongst their friends. It made it kind of a new cool thing to do. So they just through their kind of inner circle, they helped get out this idea that you can take trips up to nature and get to explore the outdoors. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so did this trend, um, did this affect uh, national legislation involving environmental protection? So like the, um, the establishment of the national and state parks services, was this related at all to environmental tourism? Yeah. So Broadly speaking, it did help influence environmental legislation in that it helped people start to think about environmental protection and the appreciation of nature. But specifically, it really didn't have any links to the creation of like the national parks or national forest system. But thinking about like the relationship between nature and industry, people started to think about that relationship. And eventually enough individuals saw that that was an important thing to think about in that industry could take away all of these beautiful natural landscapes. So just in experiencing the natural environment, there was definitely a greater environmental consciousness that was created from rail tourism. So specifically, it didn't really impact legislation on its own, but it did kind of contribute to this growing national idea that if we don't preserve or 
protect these not places of natural beauty, they are going to become consumed by industry as the nation continues to expand. So without rail tourism, I think that it would have taken a lot longer to come to that consensus that these lands were worthy of protection simply because it connected and gave people access to these landscapes that we still deem today as really important as part of like American culture. Mm -hmm. I can definitely see how personal experiences with nature, you know, that, that develops that personal appreciation for the beauty of nature, specifically within a class of people that does have quite a bit of influence on what gets developed and what kind of laws are passed. These upper middle-class college educated people that may go into politics themselves. Yeah. And what's interesting to note kind of about this is to who's not involved at Mm -hmm, this point. And it was, this was who was getting to experience and who was making the laws about what was protected. These were all the white elites. Mm -hmm. And even though Teddy Roosevelt was really adamant about making sure that these public lands were part of the public good, who got to really enjoy the public good is kind of another question because these tickets were too expensive for working class Americans to enjoy. Mm. And that's not even considering the number of groups that would not have been allowed to ride the rail lines because of racism. This was still a very white elite activity that was, they shaped the environmental movement. And in many ways, they, that's still kind of the demographics we see today. In partnership with the First Partners Office and the Natural Resources Agency, the California State Park Adventure Pass provides free entry for fourth graders and their families at 19 amazing state parks throughout California, including the California State Railroad Museum. Passes are valid until August of 2022. To sign up, visit reservecalifornia.com. You can find out more about the Adventure Pass at parks.ca.gov slash adventurepass. So was there already a connection um, between environmentalism, especially environmental tourism, with rail travel before this? Because they seem very opposed. Rail travel is industrialized and it destroys a lot of the nature that it runs through. So it's it's an interesting concept to me. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think this topic, there's a lot of contradictions within environmental tourism and the railroad industry. And that's something that We'll kind of see throughout with this topic. But in California in the 19th century, there's starting to be a lot of these smaller rail lines. And prior to the North Pacific Coast Railroad, there were a lot of rail lines in Santa Cruz area, in the Santa Cruz area, that kind of pioneered this idea of weekend excursions, really, for the wealthy to be able to experience nature. So that was when that idea really kind of started to take hold. Mm-hmm. But even before then, we've had, Americans have really had this fascination with the natural landscape. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
just a few years prior, Alfred Beardstadt had painted all of the images of Yosemite Valley, and those were really beginning to circulate, especially among the upper classes, and they were becoming more familiar with ideas about nature and kind of this legacy, lasting legacy of manifest destiny. Mm-hmm. So you also have people taking trips into Yosemite. And this concept does really grow out of the industrial movement, ironically, because people are seeing that the environment is being destroyed by industry mm-hmm. and they want to protect it. But at the same time, it's really contradictory because they're criticizing industry and urbanization, but they're also using it to access nature. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these people are also the upper upper middle class. So their livelihoods are directly like benefiting it from it mm-hmm. um, as well. So yeah, there is just a lot of those contradictions throughout that whole environmental tourism movement and its relationship with the railroads and really industry and urbanization in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very interesting kind of interconnected, contradictory sort of idea. And w- would you consider this uniquely American? Yeah, that was a really good question. I think in some ways it is uniquely American because a lot of our ideas about land as Americans stem back to the idea that land needed to be productive in American society for it to be useful. And over time, there's been differing concepts of land. So it started out with this idea that land needed to be productive. It could help support independent working families that manifest destiny would support the growth of the nation. And then we get this concept that the natural environment is something beautiful and that is something that needed to be protected. And it's interesting because all of that's tied up in the American identity, but we see that we see the progression between how Americans have viewed land. It really progresses and changes that idea about land. So I think in a lot of ways, our connection to nature is really uniquely American in that sense, because Mm -hmm. it's tied up so much in those American values and how we have changed and thought about land, even just within a short span of time, really. Mm -hmm. And all while they're moving west further into land that they considered to be unspoiled, undeveloped land, even when it was under the stewardship of indigenous people. Yeah, for sure. And that's something that's really important because Americans, like you said, they viewed this land as unspoiled and their goal really was to move west and to make that land productive. And so they viewed that land in a capitalist sense in that regard, but also by applying that definition, they removed any possession or associating any possession with Native Americans or indigenous peoples that had had that land before. Mm -hmm. So they're elevating their own superiority and their own definition of land use above the indigenous peoples that have lived in the Americas for centuries. This goes hand in hand with 
Native American removal at this time as well, because indigenous tribes are being moved off of their lands. Whites are moving west, continuing to move westward, and they're claiming these pristine landscapes to be untouched and part of the American identity. Mm -hmm. And then they developed kind of this dichotomy. There's only two kinds of land you can have. You have the productive industrialized land, and then you have the untouched beautiful land that's for recreation. And there's no in-between. It's one or the other. Yeah. And that's interesting because still they're applying kind of capitalist principles to this untouched land as well, too, Mm -hmm. because they're still marketing it Mm -hmm. for, you know, they're saying, oh, you can take a train here and enjoy the land here, or we have a hotel here and you can stay here. So it's untouched land, but at the same time is it's not the pristine conservation or preservation that some environmentalists definitely had in mind. How did these famous environmentalists, like usually comes to mind, Teddy Roosevelt and John Muir, how did they feel about environmental tourism? Did they see it as a good thing or did they see it as like a, a, um, a cheap copy of what they actually wanted to happen? Yeah, I think a funny story about Teddy Roosevelt was he came to California in 1903 on one of his many trips and he visited the Big Trees Redwood State Park, what's Mm -hmm. now the Redwood State Park in Santa Cruz. And at that time, people were nailing postcards to the Redwoods as kind of a way to say that they'd been there. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he was really horrified by that. And he made a comment about it and it stopped. So I think based on his interactions that he had had with the general public who were actually out on these trips, I think he realized that, yes, the natural, he wanted the natural environment to be part of the public good, but he was definitely had some concerns about how humans and Americans specifically were going to treat nature. Mm -hmm. And I think he saw that there was definitely kind of commercialization of nature. So I think on one hand, he believed that people definitely needed the opportunity to experience nature. But at the same time, he was worried that about its impact, but people needed that opportunity to explore nature to get on board with preserving it as well. So he definitely saw that dichotomy there. Um, And so what led to the decline of environmental tourism, specifically by rail? Yes. So in California, during the 20th century, there becomes a lot more car and bus travel. So it becomes kind of the new modern fad, really. And during the Depression era, the Works Progress Administration had built a bunch of new roads all over. So it was now a little bit more accessible to travel to parks. So the rail lines really kind of declined a little bit more because people were taking different forms of transportation. However, rail tourism in California is actually still kind of a big thing as well. Hmm. And probably one of the best examples of that is the skunk train line that connects Willits and Fort Bragg. And that still produces a lot of revenue really for the Mendocino County area 
And it kind of built upon a lot of these earlier attitudes of visiting the redwoods and getting to experience nature. So there still is that connection today in some of the smaller communities in California. Are there any other examples of you know, ways that we can still see this concept existing in our society today? Sure. I think just the whole creation and expansion of the national parks, state parks, state forests, national forests, they're such a big part of our culture as Americans. And each year, millions of tourists go to visit them. So I think that's still a really prominent part of our culture. And it shows that these ideas that drew the merry tramps to nature still like resonate with us really deeply as a culture. Yeah, definitely. Is there anything you want our listeners to take away from this? Is there a a big main point? Yeah, I think the one thing I would say is be curious about your communities and the places that you visit because I think there's there's a lot of hidden stories and there's a lot of neat stories that we don't necessarily know exist. But if you look, you might find something really neat. Thanks for listening to Roundhouse Crosstalk, a podcast hosted by the California State Railroad Museum. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more, you can read Rachel's digital exhibit right now at our website at californiarailroad.museum. The link is also in the description of this episode. Hope you check it out. Goodbye, everyone.